Unless you can really extrovert yourself, it's just not going to get started, and you're going to just look like a crazy person talking to themselves. Hey, podcast listener, you're about to discover insider tips, tricks, and secrets to making more sales and converting more prospects into customers with email marketing. For more information about the Email Marketing Podcast or the Autoresponder Guy, go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast. All right, it's John McIntyre here, the Autoresponder Guy. I'm here with Dave Allen from, uh, from Canada. Now, I'd give you a website here, but uh, it's, it's currently under construction. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's true. I was going to interject there. Uh, it's called. It's going to be called. It is called, but it's just the site is down currently for some re- reconstruction. But it's called MakeWordsPay.com. Good, uh, good site, man. I mean, it's pretty simple, pretty easy to understand. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> so you're from Canada. You uh, you've moved to California. You're a digital nomad. You said you're a professional uh, magician, and you got into uh, direct marketing, copywriting because of Gary Halbert, which there's a, a cool story there that we got into. And now you're writing a book on uh, combining magic with marketing, which sounds pretty cool. Now, I think I've mentioned before we hit, hit, uh, hit record here that, you know, you've got one portion of the audience, uh, of the, you know, your one type of listener is going to be the copywriter or aspiring copywriter who wants to get clients, maybe has a job, maybe doesn't have a job, but wants to figure out that side of things. Then you've got the business owners who have an established business and they're looking for, uh, for ideas to... Um, you know, grow their business, sell more stuff. And the reason, uh, you know, we started speaking is we actually emailed, I think, for several times in the last couple of right. years. You've been around for um, for a while now. I thought it'd be good to uh, get you on the show, have a chat about I, I think the magician thing is really good. I think you probably have a bit of a unique perspective, you know. It's not going to be like seven tips on how to do X, Y, Z. It's going to be right. how many copywriters do you meet who are magicians, right? <laughs> um, for example. No, that's great. And so thank you for having me on the show, John. It- I have been following you for a while. We have exchanged emails over the years. I've watched your ascent to the heights of email <laughs> copywriting. And, you know, you just seem like a real cool guy. I know you hang around with, uh, you know, luminaries uh, such as weirdos like Dan Meredith and so forth. So I think it's just, fa- fan, you know, fantabulous to be on the show. And I think it's always fun to talk about copywriting and marketing. So thanks for having me on. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, man. It's going to be great. So I am a professional magician. And I have been for, I think, like 11 or 12 years now at this point. I don't even know what year it is. But I was, uh, I hit the road. I became a digital nomad not quite, just shy of three years ago. It'll be three years in December, actually. Hmm. And so I used magic to uh, make myself independent, uh, digitally independent, or, or just independent at the time. And at the time, I was doing some little bit, just a little bit here and there as I was learning copywriting, and really sinking my teeth into it and starting to do stuff for actual clients and so forth. And so I've, I've done more of that on the three years hence, and I continued to do street magic, which is what actually uh, I was able to use to go independent and travel. So I've been traveling for, for three years almost now straight. Okay, so you actually got into, this, I guess, the digital nomad. It's more of like the, the magical nomad lifestyle. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Right. <laughs> so, that, so, you, so you got into the travel sort of lifestyle, the digital nomad thing, and magic was what sort of kept it going at first, but then it sounds like you, you've made this transition into, you're still doing magic, but now you're also doing the marketing because I'm sure there's, as I guess as we'll talk about, there's a lot of similarities between them. Yeah, there are a lot of similarities. You know, there's, 
it's funny because once you're doing one thing and you learn about another, you see it's remarkable how a lot of things are similar when you get into them. If you dive into different uh, fields, you notice a lot, of, a lot of similarities once you're in them. And magic, was, when I was just doing uh, high-end private parties as a magician, that was sort of one thing that sort of helped me. And for aspiring copywriters and st- freelance copywriters, I could talk about that in the future too. But what I learned from working for high-end clientele, how to get those high-end clientele and so forth became, you know, much, uh, <laughs> it became much easier when I became a copywriter. And also when I sort of transitioned from doing private parties and going uh, location independent with the magic and actually doing street magic was what I used to go independent and started traveling around, just starting impromptu uh, uh, magical theater on the street corner. That I, you sort of had to assimilate a new skill set, and a lot of those skills are actually a form of marketing uh, and marketing concepts distilled down into sort of you know what you use to to make a street show. So it was really interesting to see the connection of the two parts: the copywriting, marketing, and the the street magic, because the principles came to life, you know because I was doing less of the copywriting at the beginning, the principles came to life in the street magic. And then you saw this crossover where you went back. So I know what this is, you know? So for instance, because examples are always best, I'd say, when you start a street show, of course, you're just there by yourself usually. And there's just people walking by or congregating. You're usually working in some sort of tourist area. But the first thing you must do is get people's attention. And you really get to know pretty quickly that people walk around in in a virtual daze. You know, especially because you're working for tourists, you're in some sort of touristy location where people are congregating. I mean, I don't know about you, John, but when I go on vacation, I I don't want to do math. You know, Mm. Uh, I'm not trying to do any complex psychological uh, games or anything. I'm just trying to relax, probably have a few drinks, you know, do some fun activities or whatever you're into. And as a result, you know, it's hard, sometimes hard to focus people's attention. I would say the same applies to copywriting and stuff. You see ads, uh, marketing materials all the time that have a very weak, you know, headline or a very weak start to whatever the marketing piece is. And as a result, it's very hard to, to get noticed. In Street Magic, it's the same too. It's got to sort of start with a bang. And you got to kind of tell people what to do. I learned that very quickly because when you're doing Street Magic, you're out there and it's very daunting because you're out there by yourself and you're trying to start a show impromptu people are just going by you and and unless you can really extrovert yourself it's just not going to get started and you're going to just look like a crazy person talking to themselves <laughs> so, is, and the social yeah i was going to say there there is this you know five six years ago i was actually doing you know we've all probably you know when you're in a mall you usually see like these people trying to sign you up to a charity you know, so I, I had that job six, seven, eight. I think two thousand and nine. So a long time ago, seven years ago. But um, it was the same thing. It's 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 funny how you know copywriting is is you know this on a page, but any kind of form of hum, human you know communication is yeah. Step one is get their attention, and with the the charity thing, it's the same thing. You know, you're wearing like a charity T-shirt. People know that you know you're there with a clipboard. <laughs> like you look like you know you've got like a big you know sign on your chest saying you know i'm a salesperson i'm gonna try and sign up to this thing and when people stop like we would try all sorts of you know gambits you might call them or headlines to uh to get them to stop because i mean like you said people are people are rushing i imagine with magic it's even harder because at least with me i'm a charity so they they're kind of like well you know to you know it's a nice thing we can help the world out a bit I'll, i'll have a chat to them whereas you know with magic you don't really have that benefit it's a bit more like hey look at me i'm special (laughs) <laughs> people, people are in a hurry, you know, so it's yeah, it's tricky. 
it is very tricky. You know, it's stunning sort of as the more you get into it, it was more stunning to me how, you know, how you chose to craft. You're basically playing a character, you know, out there and how you crafted the character has a lot to do with who you're going to draw, you know, to your show, who's going to stop and watch. And it's very interesting to see the crossover in, in copywriting where you have, you know, you're trying to target a specific market and really a specific person, a real uh, customer avatar of some kind, where you know these very, hopefully, if you've done your research, you know these very specific things about these people. And the same in street magic, you get to know, depending on what, you know, because it's all done by trial and error, you're, you get to know who your people are. And if you want those people at your show, maybe you should go in this direction more, this direction more. And the beauty of a street magic show, which I think all copywriters and, and people aspiring to be copywriters who are just getting into this would really appreciate is really street magic is like a testing battleground, basically, because in copywriting, you know, you're testing different headlines, you're, you're, you're split testing, you're doing A-B testing, and you're testing different offers and so forth, or you should be. I think most people probably don't, but they should be. Also, in the Street Magic thing, the iterations are so fast because right. you could do another show 10 minutes from now, you could do another show 10 minutes from then, that you make these corrections and these choices and, and it, really everything cool. happens. Yeah, it happens so fast, you know? So you get to really see what works. Right. I mentioned, yeah, that'd be really cool because sometimes the problem with um, some things we do in life is, yeah, you get like one chance at it, you know, once a week or something, but you don't get enough data in to to try different things, to test different ideas. Whereas, yeah, with the magic, you'd be able to test not just the opener, but the entire show and find out, well, because you get, at the end of the show, right, you you ask people to, you know, give some money basically for watching the show. So you'd be able to test different, like that'd be a call to action. So it's like, what do you have to say at the end to give you more money? Do you go for the pity angle and talk about how you don't have any money or do you go for, you know, a different angle where it's, you know, they're investing in Harry Potter or something? I mean, a lot of different ways to do it, I'm guessing. (laughs) There are, there are. There's almost like an infinite, just like there's an infinite number of ways. You know, it really depends on who those people are, what, what, you know, and you get to know that over time, but you can only know it by doing it. Just like with testing, you may come up with this brilliant idea for what you think might sell this and the different objections these people, specific people will have and so forth. But until you actually put it out into the world, you don't know diddly squat, basically. And with the, the, the lucky thing about what you should be doing with your copywriting, if you're a business owner and what you should be doing. Uh, your street magic show is you get to is you just cont- constantly testing new things and in slight variations so that you can understand what's actually happening. You're keeping a lot of things constant. You're changing you know maybe one or two things. And a lot of people do play around with the money aspect of it. A lot of people do a speech of some kind near the end, right before the finale. You know other things that are, you know a close, a call to action. And it's just it's just fascinating how the two things really overlapped once I was immersed deeply sort of in both worlds. It was it was really fascinating. And here here's a good example. We'll talk about this maybe on, on a different episode, but of course we're recording this the day after Donald Trump won the US election. Whether you think about Trump or not, people are excited or not about that. His campaign slogan of Make America Great Again was very simple and direct, easy to understand. And I think it had even another little special element to it, which was people were able to fill in, in their own minds, whatever that meant. So if they were, you know, dissatisfied with whatever. Now in a street show, that has a lot of uh, impact as well, because like I said, you're delivering a message to people who are on vacation usually, because you don't get many locals. You usually get more of the, you know, your, your whole crowd is mostly tourists, depending on where you are. And you're delivering it to people who are on a reduced mental faculties, 
because of inebriation or just because they're on vacation and they've tuned, tuned out a bit. And so the simple and direct messages and the jokes you make and so forth in the show, if usually show has humor in it, a lot of humor usually, and that really is able to get at people and make them enjoy the show, whereas in a copywriting message, you keep uh, the reading level low so that people are able to understand it and comprehend what you're trying to get across, and that makes it easier to read as well. Right, right. I'm actually curious because so some of the things you mentioned are, are you know standard copywriting right. stuff. You know, like have a headline. You've got to be able to get their attention. You've got to uh, have a strong call to action at the end, and you're really got to be testing this process the whole way through. I mean, a big thing that a lot of people <laughs> takes time to learn is that a, a big part of developing great copy is, is number one, doing your research, but number two, taking the time to sort of try different things. It's, you don't like great right. copywriters don't generally don't write things out of like, you know great out of the gate it's sort right. of a process it's almost like a sculpture you start with something roughly in the direction that you need to go and you gradually refine it over time but the you know one of the challenges that i've seen that comes up again and again when i'm coaching people or when i speak to especially people who are not necessarily new to business or, or copywriting for example but just sort of at an early stage of the game it might even be they might have been in business for a while and now they're starting something else it's mm-hmm. it's really you could call it positioning you could call it um you know right. finding a unique crowd you mentioned that part of it is figuring out who, you know who are the people that are likely to show up or who are the people that you want to show up and then targeting you know your headline and targeting or you know in the case of magic targeting your messaging in that situation to to attract the people that you want there it might be the people that are most likely to spend money at the end because you might notice that business people despite having more money are actually kind of you know shitty customers basically as far as right. magic is concerned but you've got like little kids who you know get all excited and then drag on their you know parents t-shirts to give them money so they can <laughs> give it to you so you might find that that then you need to target your headline towards the kids for example and ignore the business people so how do you how would you relate that to copywriting because i know a lot of people struggle with this like how do i you know how do i position you know how do i position my site like you know you said i could make words better i think that's a great positioning statement because it clearly right. says what you do Whereas I've seen other people, and I don't want to mention any specific, you know, I don't want to embarrass anyone. I'm not going to mention anything specific. But right. some people come up with these names that sound really cool, like as a brand, in, sure. a, in a brand sense, they're great. But they don't actually, like I'm sitting there kind of going like, what does this person do right. exactly? You know, maybe they do everything, copywriting, email, sales funnels. Like they, they're, a copy, they're a sales funnel copywriting person, but I don't know like who do they serve and what right. do they actually do for them? Like there's no clear, concise, simple way to say it. So how, how would you frame that up for someone? Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. Like years ago... There was a, and he's sort of a famous entrepreneur amongst entrepreneurs now, a guy by the name of Eben Pagan. Yeah. And he started, uh, you know, with an alter ego by the name of David D'Angelo and a dating book. One of the things I, somewhere along uh, studying him and some of the stuff that he was doing in, in his online marketing and so forth, I heard somebody made the point, I think it was another copywriter, I think it was Craig Clemens, if I remember correctly. But he had said that, because he had worked for, uh, for Eben, that... Eben doesn't have a site like ebenpagan.com. He has his site so that you know what you're getting into, basically. So it doesn't, you know, he might have an ebenpagan.com now. I have no idea. But at the time, I made a very strong impact because you want to able to communicate very quickly why that person might want to be here. You know, if you're, if you're talking about a website and for positioning uh, purposes. Now, on the, on the street, what I did, and I did it very uh, specifically, was I, you know, people are very uh, familiar with certain archetypes. And so I, I use the traditional, when people say magician, like if I say to you right now, John, uh, what does a magician look like? Give me a little rundown of what you think them. All right. Well, What's he uh, wearing? What's he wearing? Probably black. He might have a hat. He might right. kind of look a little bit old, like old school in the sense, almost like a bit theatrical, like he's walked out of 
the 1800s or something. He's wearing black. Maybe he wears boots. Right. Exactly. And a lot of people associate, of course, rabbits with magicians and so forth as well. Now, what I did when I did street magic was I sort of glommed on to that archetype, uh, you know, with the top hat. And, you know, the, the I had a suit jacket originally and a vest. And I was, and I, I was kind of like a Victorian style magician. Right. right. Because everyone instantly recognized what, who you were uh, when they were coming down the street. They're like, they didn't think I was anything but a magician, and especially children, which was interesting. So and then because I was dressed a little bit better than everybody else generally. And I got this tip from uh, Penn Gillette of uh, Penn and Teller fame. Anyone who knows anything about uh, magic and on TV magicians, Penn and Teller. Uh, Penn Gillette originally was a street performer, and he always said to dress better than the crowd because people often give money to people who you know try and force money on people who don't need it it yeah. seems kind of counterintuitive counterintuitive but from a positioning standpoint for people who are listening to this and getting into copywriting and stuff there's a lot of people who end up fighting at the very bottom you know making like no money initially you know going through what you know you call it the dog days or the shameless whore phase i think john carlton calls it where you're really fighting at the bottom rung of the ladder that's not necessary i'm not saying you don't have to pay your dues but if you start on the right foot of knowing what these things are worth, you know, what your services can do, you know, in copywriting, I heard somebody say one time that it, um, you're basically selling money at a discount, right? And that's a great statement right there. That's, that, that really, and that's a very simple way of, you know, if you can comprehend that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And for doing the street magic, uh, because I looked up upscale and so forth, and because I looked uh, a very classic archetype, then families and so forth and people, you know, it's generally who have money if they have several kids and they brought them on vacation. They resoundingly, you know, were magnetized to me and and the way, you know, I spoke and the, and the words I used and stuff, even though you're sort of dumbing everything down slightly for people who are in a, in a sort of daze or drunken stupor, clearly I was educated. And so all those factors start to come into play. You know, a, a good street show is sort of like has all these layers, like a, a good sales promotion has all these different layers. You know, when you're writing, like for instance, bullets as a copywriter, often, you know, it'll be that one bullet. I know this happened to me. It'll often be one bullet that it just absolutely resonates with that person and they end up buying. And the same thing, the street magic, one joke that I told would bypass maybe, a, you know, a good chunk of the audience because of their education level or what or whatever or their cultural differences but it would resonate with those two or three people who really had money and they would be like that this guy's one he's one of us as opposed to you know we're not one of them almost you know so it's fascinating how the two things are, are so closely uh, intertwined and, and for positioning purposes like I said earlier when I first started I, I sort of started with a bang in my magic career because I sort of started with high-end parties almost by accident and the way I did that was I had somebody uh, ask me at a party I was attending of a friend of mine I had somebody ask me if I would do magic at their party I was just at a friend's party I was just doing magic for people in the corner you know because I was attending the party. But I had some guy ask me if I'd do the same thing at his party. And almost, and because I didn't really want to, <laughs> because I really wasn't a, a professional magician at the time, I just tried to blow him off by asking for quite a bit of money and, and sort of, I don't know, uh, you know, fake it till you make it, I guess is something people call it sometimes. But I think I employed a little bravado where I was kind of like, well, I don't work for free and, and you probably... Uh, it cost me a lot to come to your party. So I don't, you know, I don't think you really want to do that. And the guy was like all over it. So those things, 
you know, think about this. If you're listening out there to John and I talk about these kind of things and, and as we go forward, you, uh, the positioning aspects are so crucial because, the, you know, if you position yourself wrong and I position myself wrong on the street at the beginning big time, you'll get the wrong clientele and those people, in the case of the street magic, they have no money, you know. Uh, and likewise with your copywriting clients, you want people who are serious, who are capable, who understand what it is you do, of course, and are able and, and value it because you've built up this value uh, through your positioning. Right. There's definitely this element of where you have to you have to stand out, and you have to stand out in a way that's going to bring in uh, the people yeah. that you want. So I, I think that's really smart of where you kind of go, well, the archetype of the magician. If you you know if you look like a farmer or something, and you started trying to do magic, <laughs> people are getting, there's so much di- you know cognitive dissonance there that this, you know, right. you're not calibrated to what they're expecting then again though that might work you could be like the magic yeah. farmer because it's so different yeah I was going to say you see this a bit in the in the marketing space where you've you know you have the standard internet marketing stuff with these big bold headlines are usually a bit of red yellow highlighter like it's pretty standard stuff and, and so yeah. it, some people love it you know they, they really sure. resonates with them that's why people do it but then you see guys like um, you know Neil Patel who have you know, modeled a lot of the uh, you know the latest site uh, update to the McMethod off it's it's all clean. It's very it's not corporate, say, but it's it's it moves, you know, sort of like a one eighty away from the standard stuff you expect of you know internet marketing. You've seen the same, I think, with uh, digital marketer. They've done a similar right. thing too, where there's still a lot of copy there, but the way it's all presented is much more. It's much less, you know, hey, I'm a marketer. It's much more, hey, we're like a legitimate business, and and we do have things that can help you. It's sort of this interesting. And they do it. They, right. Both strategies work, and other strategies work too. But it's interesting how you're going to attract different people to your company or service, depending on how you look, and also the way you write the copy. And and there's all these different factors that you've got to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. And uh, at the beginning of this, you said that the you know you correctly stated that I've been sort of dragged into this direct response copywriting world uh, by Gary Halbert. What happened there was. And this will I'll tie this all together. What happened there was I was 19 and I bought a bodybuilding course. I can't remember. Optimum Training Systems, I believe, was the company at the time. And I, I was just that the sales material that they had in the magazine or wherever I got it from was so compelling. I just had to have that course. Like I, I just, oh man, I can remember even right now I can just feel the anticipation of getting that. Now, years later, I found out that Gary Halbert was the copywriter who wrote that piece. Wow, when I found that out, I was like, somebody put that together and specifically targeted that because I can still, it, it created such an emotional response and it had such juicy stuff in there that I just had to know. So now when you got into copywriting, you're kind of like, man, this is really interesting. And so I didn't know at the time when I first heard it that it was Gary Halbert, that Gary Halbert was so famous. It wasn't until a few years even further where I found out he was an extremely famous uh, direct response copywriter. Now, one of his, I should say, I guess his most famous letter is the coat of arms letter, which was uh, mailed out like six bazillion times. And if you look at that letter, like John was just saying, it's very unconventional to what uh, John mentioned in regards to what's sort of current nowadays when you get a sales letter and even some of Gary's later pieces where you had that sort of classic headline and so all that kind of stuff. You look at that coat of arms letter, it's very much like a personal letter and, and has that sort of pulled back approach almost, if you will. And yet that thing sold the bejesus out of, out of those coat of arms things. So, right. I, I see what you're you're saying with the Neil Patel stuff, the digital marketer stuff, and it is it's you know there's different ways to skin a cat, and really, 
knowing who you're getting those messages in front of is so you know so paramount i mean absolutely it's it's a bit like how um yeah i find when people just get into this i get emails from people you know they they you know they sign up and they're asking questions about how to how to you know do their copywriting how to represent themselves and part of the the issue and i think we're all like this when we first start to learn anything everything's black and white just period everything's like it's either you know if if sales letters with big red headlines and yellow highlighter work (laughs) then that works for everyone and right. the reality is, or, or, or daily emails, for example, another thing that everyone talks about is I'll daily, you know, right. I know, I've talked about this in the past that maybe I was, you know, a bit younger, I had a little bit less experience and I was like, man, daily right. emails, they just, they're just, they are amazing, they work for everyone and the truth is, they don't. The, yeah. You know, the truth is that there's far more nuance to it, you know, if you want to attract, uh, you know, Salesforce or Google or, you know, a, a right. major world-leading company like that, you better not look like an internet marketer because if one of them sees right. you looking like that, they're going to be like, this guy's, this guy's a, a douchebag basically <laughs> let's go work with the the real company over there even if you you could get better results the issue is that there's this the cognitive dissonance or it's you're not really congruent right. with that market so there's this aspect of daily emails can work yeah but 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 or even text-based emails can work but there was a i think i mentioned this before on the podcast i worked with a startup a while ago a couple of years ago now and they went and got a bunch of copywriters i was one of them to, to write an email for them and i went with the standard text-based approach you know high name it was lots of you know a couple hundred words of copy mm-hmm. And the email I wrote was one of the worst performing emails, or if not the worst, in their you know eight or nine that they got done. Which either right. way, it was fascinating to me. And and when I thought about like why, you know, my copy or my email had failed in that sense, it wasn't that it was necessarily bad copy, or um, you know, in that sense, right. it was that I think it was poorly matched to you know they're a big company. They were, um, I think the winning email had a logo in it, so it looked more, it was a branded email right. basically, and I only had one or two sentences that was basically trying to get them back to the site, whereas I'd used a couple hundred words of copy to try and persuade them, which I think, in retrospect, that was total overkill. There was no branding, right. so people thought it was a bit spammy. There was a bunch of problems with it, which, on, on the other hand, if I was selling like a weight loss product and, and we were all trialing mm-hmm. emails, my email probably would have worked better because we would have needed to explain the story a bit more to get someone to, to be interested in this weight loss product. So there's this whole, you've really got to match the, I think this is a case of matching the, the message with the right market and with the right medium too. Because if people don't, I mean, that's another thing where people, you know, if you're trying to write emails to a market that spends all their time on social media, it's not going to work. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, that, that is so true. And I have another example that may, that may aid people. I'm sure people are understanding this, but just to make clarify a little bit. I have uh, a couple chiropractors in my immediate family. They are in the same city, but in different demographic areas. Whereas my brother-in-law charges, you know, X number of dollars, a lower price, let's say, for it's what the market could sort of bear in that particular region. But for the same services that my sister offers, she charges a much higher price. And we've had many discussions about this. And she uh, said that if, you know, she didn't, she knows her people, she, if she didn't charge a higher price, you wouldn't gain any respect. You, they wouldn't respect you. They wouldn't come because they, they think something was wrong, that you yeah. weren't charging as much. And that's one of those weird counterintuitive things that you, you come in contact with you when you get into marketing, copywriting, pricing products, and so forth, and how you position yourself. Because... You have to be aware of who this is getting in front of, and and who, and then if you're doing freelance uh, work, who you're trying to attract. You know, so it's very important to decide who you want to work for. Now, it may take you a few, you know, iterations to decide. You know, you'll see the red flags <laughs> go up with clients that you've had in the, you know, clients you go through and say, boy, I don't want another guy like that, uh, or another person, or another business like that because of X, Y, and Z. 
you know, and we can talk about that kind of stuff perhaps in the future, how to safeguard against having uh, clients you, you never want to hear from again. <laughs> but it's all a matter of getting that sort of straight from the outset. And I think what you said when you're first learning something is very black and white, and you're right, it is very black and white. And by the same token, I think a lot of people when they first learn something, they feel undeserving. You know, they feel like they couldn't charge a certain price because they're new. And even, you know, because I've seen some people pick up things very quickly and they may not have the most, the biggest, uh, the most experience with this, but they know what they're doing. And with a little bit of experience, they've, they've been able to go quite far, uh, quite fast. But a lot of it has to do with people's own, you know, self-esteem and mindset and all these sort of uh, weird woo-woo type things uh, that you uh, people often, you know, don't like to talk about because... You don't get your mind straight. You often keep yourself at the bottom rung of that ladder. Right, right. And there's this interesting. I was thinking then when you're talking, like what part of the challenge with this is like if someone hears that, all right, well, rich people or wealthy people are more likely to be put off by a low price than a high price. That then leads right. this, you know, it can lead to the black and white thinking of, boy, you have to create products for rich people or, or wealthy. People. Right. And the right. issue is that, you know, it, it's that's not how it works because you might find that often, yeah, especially with client work, the higher the price, the more. Uh, a premium service you might you, know, you may have to offer it might include phone calls or, right. or lots of emails from them because they're um, you know concerned because they've invested so much money and no it's you know sometimes you get someone who pays a lot of money and, and just wants to you know hand the problem off to you and doesn't even want to talk to you about it and they're great clients but there are sort of trade-offs if you have a low price like you're selling say a $500 done for you service you can usually just mm-hmm. you know you, you can smash it out people aren't going to especially people with you know an existing business that's generating revenue they're not going to be too fussed as long as they get what they ask for it's, it's pretty good once you start moving into like a probably around about above a thousand dollars for stuff people get a bit more finicky about oh, what they want what services involved and so yeah there's more money but it's not necessarily more work it might be more you know mental headspace yep. to think about it and so there's these trade-offs between all these different things and some people will prefer just based on their own personalities to do the the you know selling expensive like a few high price products to wealthy people or wealthy businesses but on the other hand some people with other personalities that don't want to do don't want to manage projects don't want to talk to clients they're going to be much better off selling a cheaper product to a large number of so you know smaller businesses and so there's not a black and white thing here and part of the answer is you can't figure this out just with thinking you've kind of got to go and try right. like get a few really expen- you know really wealthy high paid clients and see what they like that's true you know i think i and really, what you're saying there is, is is so important because whereas it might be, you know, you might make the most money doing X, but if you don't have the right personality for dealing with those kind of people, uh, it's going to be a miserable slog for you to get through all that, you know, whereas you might be much happier with less demanding clients you, you're the, who are paying you less, but the work is easier or it's less, it's less fraught with panic or, or constant, like you said, people who, who are on you all the time. Right. If people are getting new into copywriting and they're listening to this and or they're into a sort of intermediate phase, then Dan Kennedy is a good resource for someone who has really positioned themselves in a very specific way, kind of like cantankerous you know, person, the tankerous expert. That's a one extreme. You know, if you look at that you know, and think about what he's doing there and stuff, and if you've been through some of his products and whatnot, he talks about clients and stuff. It's quite funny. But he's positioned himself very specific. You can't even get a hold of him. You have to fax him and do weird things to get a hold of him. It's very interesting to see all those things at work. And then you can sort of decide, try a few of those things and see. But one of the worst things I will say, and this goes for street magic and, and selling anything really, is 
you really don't want what people would call the tire kickers or the freebie seekers. Yeah. You, they make your life a, a, in marketing a living hell. And so if you are at all getting anything from this, notice, know that this is, you know, you get into this you, and you start to uh, cut your teeth on stuff. This can be a very good, you know, career choice for anybody. And it's very valuable. And so if you, and you also, and this is the same, I'll make another correlation between street magic and, and copywriting. You know, when you do street performing, if you do not, you know, you're just getting into it, a lot of people who just get into it are very uh, reticent to ask for money. Yeah. Okay. Right. They're scared to ask for money because at the very beginning, it's like, it seems like this impossible wall to break through where you're like, are these people really going to give me money? Yeah. And it's kind of the same in the copywriting until you start asking for fees that are a little above what you think is reasonable. You don't really understand some of the psychology at work with how to price your services and stuff like that. So don't be afraid to step off a few precipices too because, yeah, you can always dial it back. You know, and the same with the street magic. You could always go in a different direction later. You know, you know, test a few things out because uh, you'll be surprised at some of the boundaries you can push. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's um, let's finish on that note. I feel like we'll keep going for uh, for a long time. <laughs> right. Back and forth. It's sort of like a meandering discussion, but I think these are my favorite podcasts, and I find that it's actually interesting having seen done this podcast for. I think this would be episode 139. Um, okay. You know, wow. I, yeah, it's been a while. So, but it's interesting. I don't know if you've seen this. It's probably different for different podcasts, but um, you know, different shows. But I found that um, you know, when you have a really strict formula. And I suppose this is this is an interesting sort of side note, I guess. But when you have any, you know, a set formula, it's okay, but it starts to feel a bit canned, like some of the podcasts out there. When you have this open-ended discussion, sometimes it kind of leads you down some interesting paths that you wouldn't have gone down otherwise. So, yeah, yeah, I think I think that's true, John. And I and I've always preferred listening to those type of podcasts, which feels like a conversation between two people just sitting sitting around talking like they normally would. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was always a big fan of, of Joe Rogan's podcast and. and and those ones would go on for like three or four hours sometimes. But, uh, you know, it's because it's more natural. And sometimes, like you said, you unearth things that you wouldn't have talked about if you'd stuck to a very sort of rigid uh, format. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, uh, before we wrap this up, uh, where if the listener wants to learn more about you, I know that the site, do you know, uh, do you know when the site will be up? It should, should probably be like uh, the time this goes live, I'm sure. Yeah, probably. Uh, probably in a, I don't know. I, I want I say within a couple of weeks, but uh, I'm not the guy doing it, so I don't want to throw him under the bus either. <laughs> That's sort of what he said, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, you can get a uh, hold of me on Facebook, David Allen. You know, probably uh, when this goes live, we'll, we'll have links and stuff uh, to get a hold of me if people want to talk. Right. Uh, and you've got your own yeah. podcast too, where you put out a lot of uh, interviews. Yeah, I've interviewed a lot of the. Uh, you know, superstar copywriters and so forth that the the world has right now, and a lot of contemporaries and stuff. And it's called the Takeover Tuesday podcast, and uh, it's sort of something that's uh, been keeping a low profile. So I've been just doing it for about a year, and uh, people can probably find me through that avenue too. Awesome, cool. We'll have links to all that in the show notes at themcmethod.com. Dave, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks a lot, John. It's been great. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you want to discover more insider tips, tricks, and secrets about driving sales with email marketing, sign up for daily email tips from the autoresponder guy. Go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast, sign up, confirm your email address, and I'll send you daily emails on how to improve your email marketing and make more sales via email. 
you'll find out why open rates don't matter and the seven-letter word that underlies all effective marketing and much more.